This is the final episode of the first season of 1000 Words. If you want to know more about what's going on with Season 2, please stick around at the end of this episode. In 1627, as the dew of spring was beginning to turn into the freshness of summer, the inhabitants of a small settlement at Mount Marais, or Marymount as it was more commonly known, hoisted and mounted into the summit of a hill an 80-foot-tall pine phallic maypole, surrounded by the pounding rhythm of drums and the joyful noise of singing. English colonists and Massachusetts and Wampanoag American Indians decorated the maypole with flowers and ribbons, nailed the antlers of a stag to the top of the pole, and drank quite a lot of beer. As the festive crowd listened to poets reciting winding lines about the pleasures and joys offered to humanity through the divine, they danced together fingers brushing against the backs of hands while weaving ribbons and fabric through and among the pulsing throng of people, who began to feel not quite so different from one another, and who breathed a little more quickly with each passing dance partner. Suffice it to say, when the nearby Puritan residents heard of Thomas Morton's May Day festivities at Marymount, they were amazed God did not rain down holy fire upon the entire colony. But if God wasn't willing to end their sacrilegious dancing, the Puritans were more than ready to take up the wrathful mantle. This is 1,000 Words, written and produced by Michael DeWatley, a podcast about the world that art has made. Thomas Morton would never fully understand the Puritans that surrounded him on all sides after he moved to New England to look after the interests of the founder of the colony of Maine, nor they him. Morton had grown up in a part of England that held on to pieces of its pagan past. He was raised on the stories of fairies, whites, spirits, and Greek mythology, and held these legends close while attending law school. The Puritans found his affinity for those stories heretical, which was bad news for Morton when you consider that these are the Salem witch trial Boston Quaker martyr-killing Puritans of the American 17th century. Eventually, Morton and his business partner, Captain Richard Wollaston, established a separate colony with 30 indentured servants to avoid having to deal quite so frequently with the Capitan-wearing sticklers. It was during this time that Morton began to live and work alongside his Massachusetts and Wampanoag neighbors, and while he never fully abandoned the racism of his era, he did take Algonquin culture seriously, and wrote that, quote, I have found the Massachusetts Indians more full of humanity than the Christians, and have had much better quarter with them, end quote. In fact, he had better quarter with them than his colonial partner Wollaston, who had begun secretly selling the contracts of some of the indentured servants to Virginian tobacco plantations in 1626. 
After discovering Wollaston's betrayal, Morton not only severed their partnership, but inspired Wollaston's remaining servants to revolt against him. Wollaston fled the colony, and Morton decided to establish a free-thinking utopia in its place. All of the colonists became free men, and they renamed the place Mount Marais, a play on the word Mary and the French word for the sea. Morton was the leader of this new community, though he preferred to be called the colony's host. They partially integrated with the local Algonquin Indians and traded with them in furs, guns, and alcohol when they weren't partying, which they did a lot. At the end of spring in 1626, Morton fashioned a celebration that combined English traditions of a maypole dance, feasts, and classical myths, and sent invitations to nearby indigenous communities. May Day festivities in England have been dated as far back as the 14th century, so what the colonists at Marymount were doing was nothing new. The first May Day festival held at Marymount in 1627 would be remembered by Puritan Governor William Bradford, who wasn't there as drinking and dancing about the Maypole many days together, inviting the Indian women for their consorts, dancing and frisking together like so many fairies, or furies rather, and worse practices. Note that he uses the word dancing twice in one ornery sentence. He's worse than the town in Footloose. The following year, 1628, Morton wanted to have an even larger May Day celebration. He even gave it a theme, the Revels of New Canaan, and wrote original songs and odes, one of which included the following lines, Lasses in beaver coats come away. Ye shall be welcome to us night and day, then drink and be merry, 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 boys. Let all your delight be in Hyman's joys. For clarity, that's Hymen, Greek god of marriage ceremonies. Wink, wink. This time, the maypole dance was too much for the Puritans. They gathered a militia and overtook the town of Marymount, chopped down the maypole, and arrested Morton. Morton's Puritan captors started to take him to Plymouth, but overnight he snuck out of the place where he was being kept a prisoner, returned to his home, and got properly drunk. He was retaken into custody after a brief and embarrassing struggle. The Puritans believed Morton too powerful to be imprisoned or executed but wanted him banished from the colony. He was put in the stocks at Plymouth and found guilty of selling guns to indigenous communities nearby, which was not a formal crime and routinely ignored. He was intentionally marooned by the Puritans on the Isles of Shoals off the coast of New Hampshire in the middle of winter without shelter or food until the next ship left for England. While Morton waited for that transatlantic voyage, he was fed by visiting Algonquins who would provide him with supplies via canoe. After surviving not only his island prison and the return trip to England, Morton sued the Massachusetts Bay Company, which was the organizing body for the Puritans in England. 
He was close to King Charles I, and in 1635, seven years after his banishment, Morton saw to the revoking of the charter of the Massachusetts Bay Company. In 1637, he wrote a tell-all of the incident called New English Canaan, which painted a terrible portrait of the Puritans and was banned in the New England colonies, likely the first book explicitly banned in what would become the United States. The Maypole dances at Marymount are these flickering moments of possibility, where colonists and American Indians could join together in fellowship, occupy the same space, even if only for a night, and acknowledge one another's divinity. They connected to their spiritual selves through poetry, songs, and dances that folks could choose to attend, flabbergasting the Puritans, whose mandatory services focused on sermons as the portal to spiritual enlightenment, some of which would last more than three hours. Morton loved the wilderness and wildness of North America, while the Puritans wanted to tame it. Eventually, Morton would return to New England, but only to watch the Puritans burn down his house, narrowly escape death in prison, and eventually die in exile in Maine, poor and by some accounts mentally bereft. Marymount would be burned to the ground, though there is a park now marking where it used to be. But what Morton and his followers were trying to do was audacious and exhilarating. They were trying to bring people together, to celebrate being alive, and to dance. Being a Massachusetts Bay colonist in the early 1600s wasn't a good time. It was dirty and hard, yet these people wanted to dance, even though it meant possibly getting arrested or having their houses burned down. So the next time you are asked to dance, whether that's quietly in your home at the end of a long day by your partner, or as part of a TikTok challenge, or even if it's just some small voice inside of yourself, the next time you're asked to dance, I hope you'll think about the maypole and just...
This has been 1000 Words. If you like what you heard, please do me a favor and like, subscribe, or review this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Believe me, it does a tremendous amount of good for the show. This podcast comes to you from the weird and wonderful city of Austin, Texas. Music from this podcast came from purpleplanet.com. This is it, y'all! The end of season one of this show. It has been remarkable to put together these episodes and to hear from some of you about what you're enjoying, what you're learning, and what you'd like to hear about next. I'm not sure when season two will come out. I'm in the middle of grad school and putting these out has been kind of a challenge over the last few months. I appreciate your affirmation and support as we keep trying to highlight the remarkable ways art impacts our lives. Speaking of that, I'm going to play with the structure of season two and it involves you, dear listener. Each part of season two will be made up of two partner episodes. The first episode will be a story that one of you tell about a moment when art had some impact on your life. The painting your mother owned that you can see so clearly. The show that you were in in high school that made you believe in yourself. Learning to play the tuba and wondering why that was the instrument you chose. The second episode will be a short story from history that I tell that's connected to your story. So, to do this, I need your stories. If you're interested in submitting a story for season two, please give me a shout. You can contact me through the 1000 Words Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page, or you can contact me directly if you prefer.